Wish You Were Here is a podcast that takes you on a journey through the branding of the world's most interesting places and destinations. And here are your hosts, Moira Gon and Julian Stubbs. Hello, world, and a big welcome to Wish You Were Here, the place branding podcast. And in this edition, we are in the great city of Boston. Yes, Boston. Now, as a Brit, this is a bit of a touchy subject, as this is the place that kicked us out and dumped all of our lovely tea in the harbour. I kind of guess you'd feel that way, Julian. But it's been over 200 years, and you guys are surely over that now, right? Well, not really. I despair sometimes at the state of British politics, and the UK is having a bit of a, well, shall we say, identity crisis at the moment. We're not really sure if we're Europeans. Well, anyway, not if you read the Daily Mail newspaper. So maybe the best thing to do is try and take the old empire back. Mm, don't think that's going to happen, actually. But anyway, we have a great edition lined up here, and the reason we're in Boston is because we're at a conference called Inbound 15, the content marketing conference run by a company called HubSpot. That's right. Now, we work a lot with Inbound and content marketing. We thought, why not come to Boston, check it out, and learn a little bit about what Boston's all about as well. So in this edition, we'll be talking about Inbound with Sherry Monis, who lives right here in Boston and is head of Inbound Marketing at our very own company, Up There Everywhere. And of course, we talk with her about the applicability of Inbound to place marketing. But first, we have a great interview with a real Bostonian, Rich Doucette, the executive director of the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism. I'm here with uh, Rich Duquette. Doucette. Doucette. Yeah. I was told it was Duquette. No, Doucette is Doucette. sweet uh, in French, uh, Canadian. Uh, my mother's name was Lafort, which is big and strong, so I'm big and sweet. <laughs> Much nicer. Anyway, we can continue. Executive Director of the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism. Welcome, Rich. Thank you. So, firstly, just tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been in your current role. I started on April 13th of this year. Uh, I describe myself as the new kid on the block, uh, which used to be a rock and roll group from around here. Um, I am a classically trained advertising guy. I have always believed that tourism is more about marketing uh, than it is about hospitality. Mm. And my job, as defined by myself, is to promote coming to Massachusetts, uh, probably starting in Boston, if you were flying in anywhere from around the world or from Mm -hmm. around the United States. But my goal is to entice you and give you compelling reasons to visit the entirety of the state. Now, I read somewhere, I don't know if this is true, but it's worth an 18 whopping 18 billion dollars to Massachusetts is that correct it might even be worth more the the metric the metric that we use or the industry uses the United States Travel Association is that you have to have traveled over 50 miles and have spent the night okay but there's another economy that you don't actually see so if you came to visit a relative let's say in a suburb of Boston mm. and you didn't stay in a hotel room mm. you're part of an invisible economy you're not counted you're not counted okay so, yeah, it, I would guess that that number might even be double. But it's not tracked as an industry, even though it is an industry. So you can't tell me how many widgets came out of the widget factory. No. no. So it's a little elusive. So we're talking about a big number in terms of dollars, and we're obviously talking about a big number in terms of employment. Oh, gigantic. I mean, if you look at this convention center right. that we're in right now or the hotels that are around it, uh, 
and then the restaurants that are in the area, the theater, and, and, and people come for shopping yeah. and and for medicine and for education and for biotech and. So, you know, somebody could come here for five different reasons. Yeah. Number one, to bring a kid to maybe look at Boston University. Another yep. time to come back to a hospital for a medical condition. Another yep. time come on a business trip. Another time come on vacation. Another time to visit relatives. That yep. same person yep. is coming dressed five different ways yep. and coming for five different reasons. Yep. Great business. Now, so you've been, you've obviously been outside of this business as well. So what for you is the biggest difference with marketing, branding, selling a place compared to say consumer goods? Because I reckon it's much more difficult in many respects. Um, you're gonna think this is unusual, but I actually think it's quite easier. Mm. Uh, particularly the product we have, which is Massachusetts. Mm. Um, we had one if by land, two if by sea with the Paul Revere ride. Yep. We had Don't Fire Till You See the Whites of Their Eyes. Yep. The Shot Heard Around the World. Yeah, it's all aimed at Brits. That's what I'm worried about. No, 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 but we like the Brits. Uh, we're not sure what you say, yeah. you know, how you speak. I know you speak the Queen's English, or we whatever try. they call it. We yeah, try. We try, yeah, yeah. But it's refreshing to hear an accent. Mm. If you walk the streets of Boston, you're not going to hear a lot of English-American. No. Uh, we just went to the North Shore the, over the Labor Day weekend, and... No one spoke English. Yeah. They were from Japan. They were from, <laughs> no, you know, all over the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, and our job is to be welcoming when they get here as well. Yeah, we don't. We really not want people to have a bad experience. No. no. We are known as curmudgeons, but I don't believe that's Curmudgeon. true. <laughs> uh, I think we're cold, and we're cold, we're in a rush. Yeah. So don't ask for directions when it's 20 below zero. <laughs> so, um, and places obviously like regular consumer goods, they compete. Right. So who do you see as competition for Boston? Who would you rate as com competitors? Uh, I have 49 competitors called okay. the 49 <laughs> other states. Um, there are certain ones that I cannot compete with. We don't have Mickey or Minnie, so I can't compete with Disney. Um, in January, I can't compete with the weather. Uh, we're trying to promote uh, winter as romantic. Uh, it can be cold, yeah. but people who live here tend to be hardy, and we really enjoy the four distinct seasons. Exactly what we say in Stockholm. We've got it even colder and longer. So, <laughs> um, so now we're here attending Inbound 15, social media inbound marketing conference. So how do you see the use of inbound and social media marketing and what you do? How important is it and what sort of things do you do? I mean, I think it's huge. Uh, we have spent probably as much money for social media as we had in traditional media. I think you have to do both. Yeah. Uh, people talk about how newspapers and television are dead. They're not. I mean, if the evidence with the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, I agree. It's however, if you're not doing the social attached to it, mm. you're missing the boat. Yeah. Uh, so the smart advertisers and marketers do both. Yeah. So if I'm using traditional print, hypothetically the Wall Street Journal, mm. I also have to be on WSJ.com. Mm. Because people consume media how they choose to consume it, not how we mandate it yep yep so i have to try to do everything in my new role we're going to try to test a lot of things and we may be pleasantly surprised by something that we thought was the tail of the dog that ends yep. up being the body of the which dog. is the beautiful of beauty of content inbound you can actually test and see what's the working. other thing that's good and important is somebody else talking about us rather than us talking about ourselves. exactly so if somebody had like yelp for an example if they have a pleasant experience 
where they have a slightly unpleasant experience, then you're going to know. Uh, and we all use it now. I mean, a tool that came out of the blue is now a metric. Yep. Um, and my significant other, she uses Yelp and Travelocity and a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. She dismisses some of the reviews because they think that somebody complained about the weather. Well, there's nothing you can do about that. <laughs> you know, so that you, you discount that one. Mm. You know, was the room clean? Was the food good? Were mm. the people friendly? Mm. Was it easy to get around? Mm. So recommendations are good. I mean, it recommendations. Helps. Uh, you've got to go by what yeah. other people say. No, I mean, absolutely. if you ask the uh, this convention center or you ask the Western Hotel, they're going to tell you that they're wonderful. Yeah. Well, they probably are, but I'd like to hear it from you instead. And I think brave brands are quite comfortable with that. They know that they're going to come out okay. Look, Apple oh, and people and absolutely. Yeah. You know, and if there's a problem, uh, like many many years ago with the Tylenol situation, Johnson and Johnson took all the product off the shelf. Yep. We did the packaging. It's as strong as ever. Yeah. But you gotta you got to grab the bull by the horn, and you have to admit when you're wrong. Yep. And then do something about it rather than try to hide under your desk. Absolutely. Nowadays, there's no place to hide because of this social media. And, right. Yeah. So the um, I'm interested in this fact because we work, with, uh, we work with place branding. And obviously, there's tourism, but then there's inward investment, and right. then there's attracting residents. How do you manage that crossover with you dealing with tourism? You work with other state authorities i guess we are part of economic development okay which is probably similar to just about every other state uh in certain states it's combined at yes. one point in time i worked on the uh, main travel and tourism and economic development and it was one and the same okay so if somebody comes here for a particular reason mm. and we can spark yeah an idea mm. that it might be a good place for them to open up a satellite office or yep. actually open up a manufacturing yep. plant or come to be part of Mass Challenge and then get some money behind you and yes. then get funded and start to grow it, we want to keep you here. We, we want to uh, explain to you that, you know, you started here, you know, why not consider staying here? Yeah. So we don't care how you got here in the first place. Uh, we're looking for what I call retention, yep. which is kind of what you do in a branding uh, campaign. Yep. It's so hard to get you to try the first thing, and if you like it, it's a lot easier to keep you than it is to go find another customer. Still thing about buying a car, if you get them in the car for the test drive, they tend to buy it. And if they do a 24-hour test drive, the close rate's about 75 to 80%. Exactly. So why doesn't everybody do a 24-hour test drive? <laughs> you wonder. Yeah, we should. So... Um, Give us some definition of the city. And if, if you had to pick, and I know this is going to be difficult. Yep. You love the city. I can tell that. Three words to sum up Boston. What three words would you use? Uh, well, I have no way to get away from historic. Uh, I would also talk about iconic. Mm -hmm. uh, and the third one would be, um, it's not a real good word, but it's kind of a mishmash, hodgepodge, um, amalgam, melting pot. A melting pot. Huh. So if you look at the neighborhoods. Yeah. Uh, the North End. Yeah. They started with Italian immigrants. Yeah. Chinatown. Chinatown. They started there, but they didn't end up there. So if you go to South Boston now, which used to be all Irish. Okay. It's young professionals. Uh -huh. okay. The North End has now become young professionals. Yeah. The ethnic neighborhoods, not that they're getting squeezed out, but they're not as ethnic as they were before. Mm. You know, 100 years ago, if you were in the North End, you wouldn't even hear English. No. 
<laughs> now you're hearing uh, fidelity, you know, <laughs> you know, and people are walking to work. Uh, there are people that don't even bother with buying cars. You know, they're doing Zipcar yeah, or yeah, Uber yeah, or, yeah. you know, we have to figure out how they consume, where they want to live. I think our biggest challenge is affordability. Yeah, absolutely. One of the reasons why 2024 for the Olympics had appeal to people like me was that hopefully it would help with transportation mm. and also with low and income housing. Mm. We price Boston. Well, San Francisco has done it, New York mm. to a degree. Mm. We need a place for young people to yeah. stay. Same problem in Stockholm. Really? Difficult to get apartments and pay for them for young people. And how Same. far out do they have to go um, to be able to afford to live in the area? You'd have to go probably a good 15 miles out, probably 20 miles out. Okay. And the, tra the transport's pretty good, yeah. so they can do that. But in the center, yeah. it's almost yeah. impossible. See, Europe invested in their rail yeah. when we invested with Eisenhower and the highways. Yeah. As a result, our rail is pathetic mm. in comparison to the rest mm. of the world. Mm. But that doesn't mean we can't leapfrog it. No. So if you go to Venice, you know, they didn't have very good landlines, so they went straight to cellular. Yep. What can we do next exactly. for transportation? Exactly. Transportation mm. and infrastructure is key. Yes. Now, I was in Liverpool just last week recording our podcast there. And I think Liverpool, Boston have got a lot of similarities. Port cities. And what you were saying about the mishmash, you get the same thing in Liverpool, funnily enough. Right. Ports. Right. So, um, and I the think, Beatles. And the Beatles. And the Beatles. <laughs> and so um, there is also some great sports teams in Liverpool. And right. you've got a, at least one great sports team. Right. And I wanted to ask you, and there's a link, obviously, between Liverpool and Boston Red Sox, sure, the sure. same owner. Yep. So what is it like having one of the iconic sports teams? How do you use that? What's the big advantage? Well, believe it or not, the building is a baseball shrine, Fenway yeah, Park. I know. I'm told that 800,000 people a year come and pay $12 to see the tour. There are ballparks in America that don't get 800,000 people in a year. Uh, thank goodness the new ownership kept the building yep. and didn't tear it down. Yep. It is a little quirky little bandbox. Uh, it's got weird nooks and crannies. If you're in right field, you're not even looking at the field. The seat points in the, in the wrong direction. I've sat there before. But it's Fenway Park. It's Fenway Park. When you're a little kid and you go up that walkway and you see the field, it's like going to the Vatican. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, it's funny they've done exactly the same thing in Liverpool. Old stadium, too small. The option was to tear it down and build a new one. They didn't. Right. They've built on another 20,000 seats. They're building them on. Right. And it's called Anfield, the Liverpool Football Club Stadium. Yeah. Same yeah. idea. And yeah. I think it is iconic. Yeah. And I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing for Liverpool. There's a personality to a building. Yeah. That's got character. That's been there a long time. Yeah. When you hear the ball hit the wall, it makes a weird clang. Uh, and for an, opponent, uh, uh, an opposing team coming into town, if they don't know how the bounce is... Uh, you know, go. It's like the old Boston Garden where they had the wooden floor yeah. that Larry Bird knew where the dead spots were when he was coming down dribbling the ball. <laughs> and he'd know when he could steal the ball when some guy hit the ground and the ball didn't bounce up as high and he could scoop it out of his hands. Yeah. You know, there's in golf, yeah. you know, there's, uh, you know, basically a member's uh, advantage because you know where to go. You know where to go. And so you know where to go in Fenway. You know where to go in Boston. But I think what people want is to know where the locals go. Yeah. They don't want to go to the big advertised place where there's a line out front. They want to go. The no-name restaurant is around the corner here, yeah. and it's got no name. Yeah. I don't even know if it's got a sign. <laughs> but if you can find it, it's a Boston tradition. 
I agree entirely. Now, I'll tell you how we've been summing up Boston. There's seven or eight of us here from my company this week attending Inbound. Yeah. And we all kind of said the same thing. You know, we said, you know, it's a bit like New York, but friendlier and nicer. And um, we kind of really prefer it. <laughs> so um, we're really happy to have uh, talked yeah. to you today. And thank you so much for that. And uh, I'm sure we're going to enjoy Boston this week. Please Thanks. do. Thanks, Rich. Thank you very much. Wow, what an interesting interview. Rich gave us some great insights into the marketing of Boston and Massachusetts. And as you said, it's an industry worth over $18 billion a year to the state. What an industry. What an industry. And tourism and related activity are probably the world's biggest. It was interesting as well to hear Rich's views on social media and how you need, you still need a mix of media, both content and inbound, as well as more traditional media such as print and TV. And I think he's absolutely right. Oh, interesting also to hear his view that the American rail system is pretty pathetic, which I agree with him on, um, compared to, say, Europe. It'd be good to hear some listeners' views on that little topic. You couldn't resist getting that dig in at the US, could you? Uh, sorry, yep. Anyway, we've come to our next interview, and this is with Sherry Monez, who lives right here in Boston, actually, and we'd like to listen to what she has to say about inbound and how it can be applied to place marketing. Okay, with me, I have Sherry Monez, who is the head of social media and inbound marketing for Up There Everywhere. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Julianne. How are you doing today? Very good. I'm in Boston, and I just love being here. So while we're here in Boston, we're going to take a look at social media and inbound marketing in this edition. Now... Sherry, could you simply explain what is inbound? Well, inbound is a process for bringing your customers to you instead of chasing after them, using what we might have called outbound methods in the old days, things like uh, cold calling or advertising, interruption messaging. So the idea now is that we're using information or content to help frame the customer's understanding, to define their needs, and help them see your brand as a possible solution to their needs. So inbound's really about sort of seeding great content, putting it out there where your audience might be likely to find it. That could be online, social media, blogs. Um, and it involves understanding an SEO approach, which is search engine optimization, uh, email marketing, list segmentation, and automation. Okay, so um, you know, what is great content, and how the heck do you produce enough of it? Sounds like you've got to produce quite a bit. Yes, well, you can create it, you can curate it, or you can repurpose it. Um, and that's usually where we start with our clients. Uh, you can take a large piece of content and then chunk it down into smaller bits that can be used across all different kinds of media, from blogs to white papers to uh, content for social media and um, posting on third-party uh, sites. Um, in creating content, it's always important to keep it focused on the user. So the key is to understand your target audience needs what their wants and problems are, and create content that really addresses them in a value-added way. It's not about selling. It's about sharing information that'll make help your audience make a decision. So it's really very, um, and I've heard this description before, it's very unselling content, but it's interesting content to the, to the user. Right, you're trying to frame their mindset about what it is that you offer and how you can help them, so that when they start to actually put words to the problem that they're trying to solve, they think of you. Okay. And so created content, would that be like blogs and things where you um, create Right, it? something that you might create original uh, that hasn't been posted before. You can curate content from, you might, for instance, uh, collect 
the five greatest blog posts written about inbound marketing mm. and put those into an original mm. post. Uh, you might curate content from uh, other thought leaders in your area and say, if you have a topic, let's say, we're talking about destination branding, so let's say there's five great mm. um, thought leaders in that area, you might reference uh, their quotes from a specific from specific topics that they have posted and put those all together into a new blog post. Right. So then is inbound marketing, social media marketing, is that important for places? And kind of what sort of things would you think about? Well, I think when you're talking about place branding, you're talking to a variety of different types of people. There's travelers, business owners, potential residents, mm. and you need to really understand the, who the personas are and develop those in a way that you know what their needs are so that you can create content around uh, the points of pain they have and the things that they are concerned about. Um, top of the funnel content is usually designed to help frame the person's consideration. So in the aspect of place marketing, it might be something like, oh, maybe I should take a trip. So the kinds of information that helps people think about maybe they should take a trip is what you're addressing there. So I'm feeling stressed, I need a holiday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, are you feeling stressed, you know, and talk about uh, great places where yeah. people can relax. Right, right. <laughs> And then the next stage is when they answer the question, where should I go? So they mm. might start thinking about what their budget is or the time of year it is mm. or that kind of thing. So articles or content around that would be fitting that stage. And then after that, they've made a decision, I, I need to take a trip. I need to go on a holiday. They might say, well, what should I do once I get there? Mm. And then you can start talking about really specific um, restaurants that they might go visit and mm. that type of thing. Mm. Okay, really. So what we're really saying is that inbound uh, is important for places and actually can be used. Um, we spoke to Rich Doucette earlier on and he was talking about he sees it as it's not completely replacing old outbound but it's certainly playing a complementary role and it's a very important part of his mix. Most so. definitely and I think um, there's especially in place branding a huge opportunity for that kind of value-added content that places can curate and produce to help position themselves in the mind of people that are considering traveling or moving or locating a business. And like anything, if you're not out there invisible, you don't exist. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, Sherry, thank you so much. Really enjoyed that. Thanks a lot. Okay, you're welcome. So Julian, how would you describe inbound marketing? Well, it's really about producing high quality content that you market through social media platforms that helps attract the types of customers or visitors that you really want. And for places, it's a great way of getting your story told. Absolutely. And it's exactly what Sherry said. It's about sharing, not selling. And being digital, I guess that makes it highly measurable, right? That's the beauty of it. You can really see what's working and obviously do more of it. And there are some great soft software platforms out there for doing that, like HubSpot, that help you publish, measure, and track. And Sherry seemed to think that this was ideal specifically for the marketing of places. Absolutely, and I think it's only just begun, so it's a really exciting moment. Being here at Inbound and, and the conference was a real eye-opener to some of the really coolest things going on in marketing at the moment. So Julian, now that you've spent some time there, are you feeling a little bit better about Boston? And have you forgiven us for dumping all that tea into the harbor? Well, I actually think there's a genuine case to be made that you colonials should make Britain the 51st state. 
I mean, you get the royal family. You could install them in Disney World or somewhere. And we Brits don't have to feel quite so lost and confused about our identity in the world. It's perfect. I mean, we can also use the dollar so we can stop bitching about the euro. That would be a nice change. Well, unfortunately, we've run out of time again. But I have to say, in the next episode, we will be back in the UK, but not in London. That's right. We're going to be visiting what I call my spiritual home, famous for its music and its football. And we're talking about real football, not the stuff they play in America. <laughs> you got quite a few digs in on America this time. I'm, I'm actually impressed. Proud of myself. Thank you. <laughs> but for now, we must go. So it's goodbye from me, the girl from Chicago. And it's goodbye from him, the guy from Stockholm. This podcast is based on the book, Wish You Were Here by Julian Stubbs, available on Amazon. It is produced up in the clouds by the world's first global cloud-based agency, upthereeverywhere.com.